In the world around us, people compete with one another about almost everything. If one person goes on a holiday, their neighbour feels the need to go on an even better holiday. If one person tells a dramatic story, the person next to them feels the need to tell an even more dramatic story. If one person gets their child five Christmas presents, uh, their neighbour has to get their child six Christmas presents. And even in, in the church there can sadly at times be an undercurrent of competitiveness. The temptation to want to outdo others, whether in making a meal or preaching a sermon, a sermon or, or doing a particular job better than someone else could do it. Uh, the temptation is always there to, to try and do something for God, yes, but to try and look good to others as we're doing it. Uh, and if that sort of competitiveness is ugly in the world, it is far more ugly in the church. But there is a competitiveness in the church that Scripture encourages. And we find that in the second half of Romans 12, verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honour. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do you want to compete with people in the church? Paul says. Compete as to how much honour you can show to others. And we're going to look at this command in the first half of our sermon this morning. uh, Before moving on in the second half uh, to look at another command about honouring Uh, which we'll see both in Romans 13 and and 1 Thessalonians 5. But firstly, this morning we have this command to honour one another, as we could summarise it. Of all the the many one another commands in the Bible, this is one that we haven't touched on before. But it is important because it's part of knowing whether our love for one another is really genuine. The previous verse begins with the words, let love be genuine. And then from there to the end of verse 13, we have what is originally one long sentence telling us what genuine love looks like. We hear a lot these days about romance scams. Someone meets someone on social media, uh, they may uh, begin a relationship online, then meet in real life, perhaps even get married, but one person is only in it for the money. And eventually that becomes clear, but usually it's too late. The person scammed is left devastated, not to mention embarrassed and probably missing most of their life savings. They trusted the other person. They were planning to spend the rest of their life with them. They thought the other person loved them. But it wasn't genuine love at all. It was all a sham and a scam. In fact, we were reading at home this week the story of Samson and Delilah. And I guess you could, you could probably call it a kind of romance scam. Because at the end, anyway, she was just in it for the money that the Philistines had promised to give her. And Samson, against his better judgment, told her what she wanted. So how do romance scams tie in with the passage in front of us today? Well, because Paul is talking about true love and fake love. 
Love one another is the first and most important one another command. The one another command are simply examples of what loving one another looks like in various areas of life. But the one another commands also provide us with ways and whether we can know if our love for one another is genuine or not. So how does the Holy Spirit tell us or, or, or what does the Holy Spirit tell us what genuine love looks like? Well, just run, run your eye down at Romans 12 from, from verse 9 following. Genuine love, it, it looks like abhorring what is evil and holding fast to what, it, what is good. It looks like loving one another with brotherly affection. It looks like uh, contributing, verse 13, to the needs of our fellow believers and seeking to show hospitality. And it looks, in our text today, like outdoing one another in showing honour. So the command to honour one another, it's important in and of itself. It's a command of God. And it's also important because it's one of the ways that we know whether our love for one another is genuine. So what does it mean to honour one another? Well, the word honour and glory are closely related. In the Old Testament, they're they're the same word, just translated either as honour or glory, depending on the context. Uh, and so in Malachi 1 verse 6, Malachi 1, 1 6, God says, A son honours his father and a servant his master. If I then, if I then am a father, where is my honour? Uh, but it could equally well be translated, If I then am a father, where is my glory? Because it's the same word. Uh, honour, glory, same word. Uh, and the word has a sense of weightiness. Uh, literally it means heaviness. So it is a sense of weightiness, of significance, of importance. We honour God because he is glorious, he is weighty, he is important. And so to honour our brothers and sisters in Christ means to treat them as if they are important. Because they are important, because they are made in God's image. Um, Because Jesus has given his life for them. To honour someone means to treat them as if they matter. Because in God's eyes they do and they should matter in our eyes as well. Uh, Sometimes it's helpful in defining something to think of what the opposite of it is. Uh, So what's the opposite of honouring Well, it's the opposite of what we sometimes hear when someone says, you're nothing to me. To say that to another person uh, is to say, you have no weight, you have no significance, you have no importance, you're worthless. Or someone refuses to engage with someone else and just says, you're not worth talking to, you're not worth wasting my breath on. It's the opposite of that. Perhaps you've had the experience of being totally ignored or, or blanked by someone. Uh, now, now sometimes we might think that that happens and the other person uh, just hasn't seen us or hasn't heard us. There are plenty of examples of that, but, but sometimes it does happen. 
there are times when someone has such a low opinion of us that they don't think it's even worth their time wasting their breath on us. The opposite of honouring is treating people with contempt and despising them. But rather than counting people we're dealing with as not worth dealing with, we're to treat them as important. As Paul puts it elsewhere, Philippians 2 verse 3, count others more significant than yourselves. Francis Schaeffer wrote a book in the 1970s which was republished last year. It's called No Little People. And that's what it should be like in church. As far as we're concerned, there are no little people. There shouldn't be people we think aren't worth talking to. There shouldn't be some people we're, we're happy to help if they ask for help, but not others. There shouldn't be some people we'll accept invitations from, but not others. Uh, there shouldn't be some people who we will we'll reply to their messages right away, uh, whereas there are other people we routinely ignore. Uh, some people just don't reply to anyone, that's fine, but, but we shouldn't make distinctions. Uh, basically, we're not to treat some people as more important than others. And we're to count everyone as more significant than ourselves. Surely treating people as important, surely honouring them, it means taking an interest as far as we're able in what's important to them. Even if it doesn't seem very important to us. And of course we show honour to a fellow believer, not just to their face, but in how we talk about them when they're not there. Because clearly to, to honour someone to their face, but to give off about them behind their back, that's not really to honour them at all. It's not genuine love. It's not genuine honour. And notice as well that, that we're not told to honour one another simply when we disagree with them. But rather the command to honour one another is a command that applies at all times. And in fact, the, the context here in the rest of Romans uh, 12, if you look at it, verse 14, it's persecution. It's, it's verse 17, not repaying evil for evil. It's verse 18, trying to live peaceably at all, even if people aren't living peaceably with you. And so one of the toughest applications of this command to honour one another is when we disagree with a fellow believer on a particular issue. It's all well and good to honour one another when we, when we agree with them, but what about when we disagree with them? So how can we do that? Well, the starting point must be to treat them always as a brother or sister in Christ. Uh, we're told in verse 10 to love one another with brotherly affection. And so even if we think our fellow believer is wrong, even if we think they're sinning, this is how we're to treat them. Unless they are disciplined by the church and removed as a member, we are to treat them with brotherly affection. Uh, and we're always to treat people with respect. Uh, we're to treat fellow believers who we think are sinning, who we think are wrong, we're to treat them not as an enemy, not as a rival, but as a brother or sister in Christ. And it also means speaking respectfully to them. Sadly, 
There are many Christians who do not speak respectfully to one another, uh, particularly online, uh, particularly uh, on social media or or by email or over text, uh, but also sometimes face to face. Uh, There are are ways that that Christians speak to one another that that would leave you even doubting whether, whether that person is really saved or not. And it's even worse if there are unbelievers watching on. But honouring someone while disagreeing with them means speaking respectfully to them. It also means trying to understand their position and not misrepresenting it. Perhaps trying to summarise what you think they believe and then asking them, is that an accurate summary? Or if they've said something to you or you've heard them say something which you think is wrong or hurtful, Well, ask them what they meant by it rather than just instantly taking offence. Because it could be that you've got the wrong end of the stick. It could be that you've interpreted it one way, which which might be a valid way of interpreting it, but it's, it's not at all what they intended. Don't assume the worst of your fellow believers. Ask, ask what they meant by it. And we we need to be able to disagree with one another as Christians without turning things into personal attacks. We need to be able to disagree about an issue while still honouring the person. We need to be able to disagree about an issue while still honouring the person. And we need to be able to keep these things separate. Some people assume that if you disagree with, with them on an issue that you must be attacking them personally. And other people don't seem to be able to disagree about an issue without attacking the person's character as well. One area where Christians seem to particularly struggle with honouring one another is in leaving a church. And so you'll find various articles online with titles such as How to Leave a Church Well. Because often it seems that people can't leave a congregation or a denomination without bad-mouthing those they leave behind. Often it, it, it seems that they feel the need to justify what they're doing. and Rather than simply say, well, I, I had different convictions uh, with them about something. They have to trash talk the entire church or denomination. And we need to beware if people come into our congregation doing that. Because if they come to us bad-mouthing their previous congregation, chances are that they'll soon move on and and this time uh, they'll do it to us instead. So honouring one another is a challenging command because it requires us to treat everyone in the church as important, as significant, not just those who we might naturally be drawn to. And it also involves honouring people when we disagree with them. And especially when we disagree with them. And in fact that might be the test of whether we are really obeying this command or not. Uh, Because most people can manage to be polite to someone's face even if they dishonour them behind their backs. But how how do you react when you disagree with someone? Or if a decision is made that you disagree with... Because the world's approach would be to kick up a stink about it, to whisper about people behind their backs, to make it clear that you are not happy. 
But for the Christian, there is no situation in which the command to honour one another does not apply. There is no situation we'll find ourselves in where the command to honour one another does not apply. So firstly today, the need to honour one another. But then for our second point today, we have the command to honour those who are over you in the Lord. Honour those who are over you in the Lord. We are to honour one another. But it's also the case that God expects us to honour particular people because of the role he's given them. If you still have Romans 12 open in front of you, if you cast your eye down to verse 7 of chapter 13, uh, so verse 7 of the next chapter, uh, we have the command, Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honour to whom honour is owed. So yes, we're to honour one another, but there are particular people we are to honour because of the role that God has given them. Romans 13 is talking particularly about rulers in the state, uh, that is rulers in the nation rather than in the church, governing authorities as they're called in verse 1. And even if they aren't Christians, they are, in the words of verse 4, God's servants or God's ministers. We talk about ministers in the church, but we also talk about government ministers, and so does the Bible. And that word minister should remind politicians that they are there as God's ministers, as God's servants. And it should remind us that we are to honour politicians, uh, as verse 7 says, uh, not because their character deserves it, often it doesn't, but because they are where they are, because God has put them there. But this is a series about the the church, not the state. Uh, And so does the principle apply in the church as well? Are there particular people in the church that we are specifically to honour because of the position God has placed them in? Uh, Well, yes, there are. Uh, And we see that specifically if we turn over to 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 12. Uh, There the apostle says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labour among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Uh, So the word honour isn't used there, though it's used in other places, but the word respect and esteem are. And in fact, this is really what what the chapter in the book Love Your Church is is all about. Now, now I've widened it out a bit for our first point because the command for us to honour one another is important as well. But it's also important to cover this command to respect and esteem those who are over you in the Lord. Now it's probably not a command that that any minister would choose to preach on, at least not in his own congregation. It's easy if if a minister was preaching at the induction of a minister in a new congregation to to exhort that congregation to to honour and respect their new minister. Uh, ministers are less likely to choose to to preach this text in their own congregation uh, because those who are over God's people in the Lord are their their ministers and elders uh, and so it could come across as very self-serving 
but one advantage of following the outline of topics in a book is in a sense my topics are chosen for me the scripture passages are chosen for me uh, all, all I have to do is preach them uh, and while most ministers would shy away from preaching on a topic like this it would actually be harmful for you as God's people if God had given you a command which you were never told about and which you were never equipped to fulfill. And one thing which immediately strikes us about this exhortation from the Apostle Paul is that he obviously felt it needed to be said. There was obviously the temptation not to respect and esteem highly those who were over them in the Lord. Otherwise, it wouldn't have needed to be said. And why might that have been a temptation? Well, we think of our age as anti-authority. And it very definitely is. There is no doubt about that at all. But, but despising authority is also a perennial human sin. We saw a few weeks ago in the evening how the Apostle Peter warned his readers that they were going to come up against false teachers who would despise authority. And so despising authority, even though it is, it is utterly prevalent in our day, it is, it is nothing new. And one particular reason why people might be tempted to despise authority in the church is seen here in verse 12. Because in Paul's words here, spiritual leaders are those who admonish you. What does admonish mean? Well, if you look down to verse 14, Paul says there, admonish the idle. He, he uses the same word at the end of 2 Thessalonians, where he gives instructions about anyone who doesn't obey his letter. He says there at the end of 2 Thessalonians, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn or admonish, it's the same word, admonish him as a brother. So it's clear from those words that admonish has to do with urging someone to stop an improper course of conduct, to tell someone to stop doing something. And what's our natural reaction to someone who tells us not to do something? Or to someone who tells us that there's something that we're not doing that we should really start doing. Well, we're not thrilled, are we? We may well think, well, who are they to tell me what to do? But Paul says, respect those who admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Our church's book of government includes four steps of church discipline each of which is aimed at bringing someone back from a course of sinful action they're pursuing. And the first one of those steps is admonition. And so this is where, where that comes from. According to our book of government, an admonition is a solemn address to the offender on the character of the offence and an exhortation to greater circumspection or watchfulness delivered by representatives of the session. I wonder how you'd feel to be in the receiving end of that or how you'd feel to hear that a friend or family member had been on the receiving end of that whether in this church or in another church again naturally our reaction may well be well who do they think they are 
But no, Paul says, respect those who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in the Lord because of their work. (coughs) Because do you know what would be worse than receiving an admonition from the elders or even being excommunicated? What would be worse would be to have no one who cared for your soul. What would be worse would be able to miss church for a few weeks and no one would ever lift the phone or send you a message to see if you were okay. David says in Psalm 142, no one cares for my soul. To have people who care about our souls is a privilege that most people in the world do not have. And again, as we've seen elsewhere in Scripture, Paul assumes here that his readers are going to be under spiritual oversight. He assumes that his readers are going to have people who are over them in the Lord, which is only possible with some form of church membership. As someone has rightly said, every Christian needs shepherding. Every Christian needs shepherding. And those who are part of a church are to esteem those over them, both because of their office and because of their work. Because of their office, Paul says, respect those who are over you in the Lord and because of their work. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Somewhere else we could go in Scripture to see this is the fifth commandment. That's the one about honouring parents. But if the Ten Commandments are like a a ten-drawer filing cabinet uh, to sum up how we're to love God and our neighbour, which they are, then we have to see this commandment as wider uh, than just applying to parents. And so the larger catechism asks, what, who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? And it answers, by father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as by God, God's ordinance are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church or state. Perhaps someone will say, well, uh, one of my elders does this and I don't think he should. Or my my minister doesn't do this and I think he should. And yet you are to honour them because of their office. Think of the high priest Ananias uh, commanding Paul to be struck in the mouth in Acts 23. Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. And those who stand by say, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul responds, I did not know, brothers, that he was a high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So Paul saw it as wrong to speak evil of a Christ-hating, unbelieving, persecuting Jewish high priest. And yet there are Christians today who, who will think nothing of constantly speaking negatively about their minister or elders. And again, the real test of our character isn't how we interact with those, isn't how we honour those who we agree with, but how we honour them when we disagree with them. Now, ministers and elders, for their part, whether people respect them or not, uh, they're not to feel sorry for themselves, but they're to give them to the ministry that they've been given. But those in the congregation can make a big difference as to whether they do that with joy or groaning. We're, we're told that specifically in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, 
Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So how can you help your leaders fulfil their calling with joy and not with groaning? Well, as we draw things to a close today, here are some practical tips. Uh, and I've taken them uh, directly from the book Love Your Church. The reason that I've done that is, well, well partly because I think they're, they're all biblical, they're all helpful. But also, in case anyone would think any of them are, are aimed at specific people or situations, uh, rather these are, are simply gen- general principles for all churches So some practical ways to help your leaders keep watch over your souls with joy and not with groaning. Firstly, pray for your leaders. There isn't anything better you could do for James or Peter and I than this. Tony Meredith says, One of the biggest blessings I hear from some of our church members is our family prayed for you last night at dinner or our kids prayed for you before they went to bed. And I've heard that recently at a Bible study, people sharing how they pray for me. And that is a, a, a massive encouragement. Some other practical points are avoid burdening them by refusing to attend gatherings. That is by not coming to church. Do you realise how it grieves your, your minister and elders for, for you not to be at church on a particular weekend? Uh, and we don't know why we don't know where you are we don't know if there's anything wrong with you but we assume that if if we haven't heard that there is that it may just be be lack of interest so don't burden uh, your ministers and elders Merida says by refusing to attend gatherings then he says avoid being quarrelsome and divisive don't burden them by failing to contribute to the church's ministry financially Avoid being a burden by undermining or refusing to engage in the church's mission. Recognize that they seek your good and the glory of God. Let them have the joy of seeing you sitting humbly under the teaching of the word, repenting and changing as you do. Refuse to participate in rumors and backbiting. Recognize the amount of work put into into sermon preparation and give honor to them by receiving God's word humbly. That obviously includes being, being there, there to hear it, uh, not just, just praying that, that the minister, uh, praying for a minister uh, to prepare his sermons and then not, not coming to hear them. And then finally, give your elders joy by volunteering to serve. Uh, so tying back into what we looked at last week, be an encourager, watch out for the welfare of others and maintain a joyful attitude. So two commands today, honour one another and honour those who are over you in the Lord. Too often we don't do a good job at doing these things. But think of the impact that it might have when we do. I heard of someone during the week and he had attended my friend's church for 10 or 15 years before being converted. And my friend said to him at one point, look, we're really glad to have you here, but but why do you keep coming if you don't believe it? And the other guy said, because I like being around nice people. He found people in the church who weren't like the people in the world. 
our world dishonours, our world cuts down, our world despises, our world pours contempt on people, our, our world builds people up only to tear them down. It's all about exalting others or exalting ourselves at the expense of others. But the church is to be dif- different uh, and what an impact it will have by God's grace when it is. When the truth of the gospel proclaimed is backed up by the relational warmth of the gospel uh, lived out in these one another commands. And just as we close today, for those who have not known much of this command, if in fact you're, you're keenly aware this morning of ways in which you have not been honoured or ways in which you've been dismissed, ways in which you've been treated lightly, think of your Saviour and how he was dishonoured way more than any of us have ever been or will ever be. He was despised and rejected by men. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And yet for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. And one day soon, if our trust is in him, we will go to him and his honour and glory will be shared with his people. Amen. Well, having thought about this need to honour one another, the opening verses of Psalm 16 give us some very appropriate words to sing in response because it speaks about how the true believer feels about other Christians. Psalm 16, verses 1 to 5 on page 22, and especially verse 2, The saints on earth delight me, I the excellent hold high. And remember, these are first and foremost the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who, in verse 9, knew that God wouldn't leave his soul in the grave. And he here tells us that he delights in God's people. How amazing is that? Despite knowing all about our sins, Jesus delights in us. He calls us the excellent ones. And if Jesus himself delighted in God's people... If he still delights in God's people today, well, who are we to despise them? So Psalm 16, 1-5, we'll stand and sing praise. <laughs>